Devin, are you uh, about to be swallowed by some ooze? Mm, why do you ask that, Shane? There's just a giant green field behind you, and I'd like to think that's like you're, you know, an, uh, an enemy ooze entering your area, about to swallow you whole. Perhaps a, a scavenging ooze? No, it's actually <gasps> I, I've already gotten covered by ooze. That's what the green is there. You know? <laughs> we're we're post ooze. Doomwake Three: The Secret of the Ooze. So, like, so you have a green screen now? Is this a new thing? Yeah, I had it. I had. I think I've had it for like the last. I got it for Christmas. So the last recording I had it too. So you remember? Well, I wasn't on last week. Oh, okay. I don't. Well, and was I? Was I? No, I. I was. I was on. You were not. So two weeks ago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, we've 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 come to the. I mean, fitting with the newest magic set, we have solved this case. But you know, how I said that I was going to be able to watch a lot more of you stream with mm-hmm. now that I'm working at home. Yeah, I watch even less than I of anything. No, because I'm I'm st- I'm just still getting used to this. I mean, yeah, I mean, this is very very fascinating new job stuff. But anyway, I'm glad that you're not actually getting eaten by a ooze mm. on the green screen. Course. On the yeah, on the green screen. You know, I wish that for Riverside, Riverside FM, get at us, uh, sponsor our podcast. I wish that we could put we could do something with the green screen during recording. I wonder if we can. Well, if I if I change my camera source, I can. I can switch the background. Just this camera source. For some reason, this one doesn't let me change the background. But if I do it through, if I do it through my graphics card, I can. Well, next week. <laughs> next week. I'm gonna. I, we'll, we'll figure this I'll out. Surprise you. Hello and welcome to episode 258 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike in all formats. Uh, my name is Shane here in Denver, Colorado. With me on the line from Massachusetts, it's the one and only Devin O'Donnell, a.k.a. Doomwake, who just changed his camera source. No, I zoomed it out. I zoomed it out to like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> just looks better. But that's me. I like thinking that you have like eight different cameras that you can just select from. Like you're you're, you're like an engineer now, just like camera three. <laughs> you were ready for that. Me- huh? <laughs> this is an audio medium, so no one saw that. But no. I, just, I just zoomed into like one third of Devin's face. It was, it was very it good. Was my left cheek, to be precise. <laughs> I actually have a camera for my left cheek. You know, now that you mention it. Oh, Devin, this is the first episode. I realized this uh, when we got going. It's the first episode, just me and you, my friend. I'm excited for this. Are we get we're, we're sucking on chili dogs? Is that what's yeah, happening? Yeah, su- yeah. I mean, I I was saying I was telling Devin. I have, you know, uh, Stan and I have a song. Dave and I have a song. And uh, we have selected Little Diddy about Shane and Devin, two magic players on a podcast. Maybe we can get some chili dogs when I go to Chicago. (laughs) Yeah, you'll definitely want to partake of the Chicago food. Yeah, you're officially in, right? You're officially in for uh, MagicCon. Booked. Booked last week. Got a pretty good deal on a flight. Going to be staying, I think, with Turtle Power. I think he's got a, an Airbnb with a couple people. So, oh man, that's going to be great. Uh, yeah, yeah, we are going to have a good time. So, more one more host added to the fold for MagicCon. So, friends out there, uh, yeah, you'll see us. We'll have we'll have T-shirts. We'll that that we're wearing, and maybe I'll just have something to hand out. I don't know. We'll find out. I'm just going to, we'll, we'll all bring banana costumes. Yes. I mean, that'll be the easiest way to find us. Devin, it wouldn't be a Magic the Gathering podcast without me apologizing for your Cowboys 
performance this past weekend, by the way. Yeah, it was uh, it was a disappointing weekend of hand egg, as the kids say. <laughs> yes, run with the ball. The good news is the Eagles lost, so I was pretty happy about that. <laughs> Man, those Eagles. I mean, I don't even follow football that closely, and the I do know that the, the Eagles, basically, the entire second half of the season was cataclysmic, so. It was bad. It was pretty bad. So, uh, speaking of things that are not bad, Heavy Play, card gaming accessories brand, you know them from us, hopefully. Improve your gameplay and your game day. Devin grabs his, I have that same one, the same green box that uh, we know and love. Those play mats, those deck boxes, those card sleeves, those dice boxes, enhanced ergonomics, enhanced mobility, enhanced protection. I was actually sleeving up my Amalia Pioneer deck that finally all the cards have arrived. I was sleeving them in the uh, curve inner and outer sleeves so I could have that ready for MagicCon uh, in Chicago this next month. And man, those go together nicely. The Equip Mag system, that's the clutch thing. You magnetically attach all of your dice boxes, your deck boxes, your play mat all together. Together, carry it all around in a single hand. It's probably potentially at your LGS, but always at heavyplay.com. If you use the new code, new code, the dive down 2024, it's not that hard to remember. You do get 10% off of your first order. And they are going to be in Chicago. I talked to Randy a couple times. So yeah, they're going to be in Chicago and they're also going to be in Denver. I will definitely uh, be seeing Randy at the it's the it's the it's the dream hack that's not really a dream hack here in Denver. Yeah, I think it's held by Laughing Dragon. I think. Yeah, that sounds about right. So I'm gonna be I'm definitely gonna head out to that. So Denverites and anyone coming in, uh, try to find me, Devin. What are we doing on this week's show? We're talking about standard because we oh, love Shane, you know Shane. You know what we love more than anything else in the world is listening to people's opinions when they vote on a poll, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, I think a, a mere 13% of our respondents said that they were interested in the dive down covering standard, but here we are planning to talk about standard. Why are we doing this? Potentially just to frustrate you. Well, one, I mean, it's the RCQ season format, right? So Jan 6th through March 24th. If you want to play in an RCQ, you're going to either be playing standard or limited. And we know a lot of our listeners hit up RCQs. People in the Discord are always telling us about how they're doing their RCQ. Uh, and from time to time, we hit them up as well. So we thought it made sense. Hey, let's give you an overview about what's going on in standard to give you all some foundational knowledge on the format and prepare you for playing in your RCQs or any odd standard event you want to partake in. And Devin, you weren't here last week when Dave and I were chatting. But I'm sure you listened, and I'm sure you know this, even if you didn't. Modern's pretty stable. There's not a lot to talk about here, uh, there, rather. And there's not really too much focus on Pioneer right now, not the RCs are done. So here we are, we're talking about Standard, which honestly, I'm all about it, because Standard is the most popular format on Arena. We know a lot of people in our audience are playing there. Honestly, I should be playing there on arena before i fall even further behind in like my my collection building and i know you play a lot of you, you play your standard on arena i'm guessing right Devin? yeah so i actually made a decision this uh like at the beginning of january i kind of wanted to take this month and maybe do a little bit of a push towards arena content so i've been playing a lot of standard and a lot of timeless and yeah just um i've you know i've accrued a lot of decks i had a lot of stuff from the previous time that i was testing standard which was last january february for the san diego rc so i had a lot of stuff already 
And uh, yeah, just been playing a ton of standard and a ton of timeless on Arena. And now that we have that nice three-year rotation, your cards are good for even longer. And so, you know, that's a lot of justification for why we're doing this episode. Uh, Hopefully you stick with us. It's going to be a fun one. We're going to go over a lot of different decks. And I think the thing that you will probably realize quickly, audience, is that much like every other format, Standard's got a lot to offer any type of player. So let's get on with this. First, we got some housekeeping. We have a lot of new patrons. Let's go. We've got Giuseppe B, Dylan E, Matt B, Ben G, and Dan W. People took my call to action to heart. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All you new citizens of the Dive Down Nation. Uh, Looking forward to interacting with you in the Discord and generally appreciate all your support. We got some new reviews. We've got Chad K on Apple Podcast stating succinctly that modern is the truth. Uh, Sorry, that's not the case this week, Chad. We'll get you next week, Chad. Yeah, yeah, we definitely will. We've got a lot of Spotify comments. We've got uh, JSN, Jason, 8891, Now with Bacon, Ben J. Dead, DZ, Kimchi, Connor, Master Blaster 87. I'm personally more of a Blaster Master guy myself, but, you know, Master Blaster, I'm, I'm cool with that too. And uh, DZ also asked what deck to play in Modern, Rhinos. saying that they... They play, they play, they play Rakdos and Jund colors and other formats. Well, my friend, DZ, good thing you have a tier one Rakdos deck to also play in modern as well. You got, so, you got Sheen and I on the podcast. You know what we're gonna say. So yeah, we're gonna say, um, don't do anything until turn three, and you're good to go. Don't worry. I you've mean, got, you've got we, Rhinos. We cast Fire Ice. We cast Dead yes. We got plays. Oh yeah, there's there's plays for days. Um, if you want to be like all of our new patrons, all the new citizens of the nation, go to patreon.com slash the dive down. You help keep us going. You get some swag sent your way. If you cannot do the weekly thing with Patreon, you can go to the store. Go to the divenow.com slash store. Grab yourself some swag there. You can support us via renting online cards on Mana Traders. As I said before, um, I'm testing out not doing the long-term code with Mana Traders and just seeing if like the cyclical type code is actually better. So you can find that code in the show notes. It is the divedown underscore 3YO. I don't know if that's a zero or an O. I think it's an O. The divedown underscore 3YO. That's through the end of February. So if you want to use it, check the show notes. Anyway, okay. That's a lot of talking. That's a lot of intro. A lot of housekeeping. A lot of housekeeping. Thank you for all that, everybody out there. Let's get into this. Standard for me, standard for you. Let's play standard in a brown canoe. Um, so like, I actually started playing Magic with standard. I mean, Same. most, yeah, I mean, like, and I'm not even talking about like the, uh, what is it, 1995 time when I played Magic the Gathering briefly. Like, I mean, I think that was technically standard, but, you know, when I was actually getting back into Magic in the cons era, um, all I played was standard. I mean, modern was the format for, for me that was like, whoa, these are, how much of those Tarmogoyfs? Like, like in, I mean, it's just kind of, it was, it was to me just seen as something uh, really ambitious. You know what format I started in was uh, back in Darksteel. So during Affinity, there was a lot of, you know, that's when I played Standard. And uh, for listeners at home that may not know, that was considered to be one of the worst Standard formats of all time. So uh, big surprise that I've been around here for 20 years at this point. Yeah, I mean, that's like starting during Kaladesh or something, right? Yeah. The yeah, I mean, I thankfully got to start in one of the best eras of standard that people look back on. I oh, mean, yeah. the whole what like Innistrad, Theros, 
uh, and then cons era was, I think like a really good period of standard for sure. And we've talked about it on the podcast before. Yeah. Speaking of old standard, I actually ran a poll or not ran a poll, but I like posted a, a, a thing on Twitter about asking people what their favorite standard format of all time. And that was honestly, the the two most common answers were those two was in a and cons. Yeah. I mean, cons was, cons was really good because there were 10 at least decks that were all legitimately viable and they were all very different from one another and people could really have their pick of the litter in terms of hey i want to play a deck like this i want to attack the metagame in this particular method and when i went through the decks in the current standard format i saw a lot of similarities um, to the con standard that people really look back fondly on because i mean decks aside I think that one of the reasons that people look back on those eras is because standard was super hype, right? Like it was the, it was the format to play. It was a format that people filled their LGS, you know, for weekly events. They had the Pro Tour qualifiers, they had GPs, they had SCG weekends, and standard was still legitimate and very popular format. And like, you know, that was the thing, right? Like that was the, the there was a lot of decks, the gameplay was interesting, people had fun playing it, but we all know that standard has really waned in popularity. And I think we probably all know a lot of the reasons that played into that, right? Like, I think the biggest one, and Devin, I'm curious on your opinion on this one, right? Is like the the PT, like the, the pro tour dream, the pro player dream that people had in their mind is basically dead, right? Like there's, there's the competitive ecosystem that was in place was built around standard and people like largely built around standard and people played it, right? Like people wanted to play the PTQs. They wanted to do the GPs, the SCGs. So they went and they played the format that was expected to be played, which was standard. And this lifestyle was upended and, you know, no one's making money, unfortunately, or very few people are making money, like writing content, writing articles about the latest changes to standard metagames and sideboard guides and things like that. Yeah. And another big part of that was also, like you mentioned, the, the events, because there was all these Grand Prix that, so you had the Grand Prix circuit, which was Grand Prix feeding into Pro Tours. The Grand Prix not only qualified you for the Pro Tour, but they also had their own large, you know, payout mm. or whatever. So you were playing for money and for PT invites. You had the Pro Points when those were still around. Those were very, very important. So these Grand Prix were just huge events that people everybody wanted to go to for whatever reason. And then, like you mentioned, you know, you used to be able to get to those pro levels like gold, platinum, silver. I remember those levels as well. And um, yeah, now since they've removed that, they basically removed competitive magic as a means of as a full time job. Um, yeah. Obviously, those are the means and stuff. But yeah, that's that's pretty much it. And it's it almost feels like standard has maybe become much more of a casual format because of that. Yeah, I think it, I forget exactly who said this. It might have been Mangucci, but I don't want to pin it on him because it's kind of a negative comment. But the, this person said, like, you know, uh, Forsyth asked, I believe, in late 2022, maybe. Like, there was, like, that big thing where they, they asked people, like, hey, what happened to Standard? Like, why did you stop playing Standard? And they were basically like, hey, you killed this system that was basically r ran around Standard. And people started playing other formats that they just, they realized were better. Right. And I think there's some fairness to that. But I also think that, you know, formats like Pioneer, formats like Modern have strengths and weaknesses. They have lulls and they have peaks and valleys and all those uh, uh, adjectives. No, those are nouns. <laughs> words. Those, yeah, all those words. But I think like one of the strengths and weaknesses of Standard and perhaps one of the factors that w made it less popular is it's, it's, it's dynamic nature. It's changing more often. 
new sets make more cards come into the format and these new strategies. And so you have to keep up with it a little bit more aggressively than you do the other formats. Like say what you will about modern and pioneer, like standard requires a significant investment of time and potentially cash to keep up with. And sometimes people want the stability or they want to be able to say, okay, I've got Grease Fang from eight months ago. Okay, I've got to get, what, seven new cards or something like that. And I'm good to go, right? They don't have to be like, what, like this, like all of these creatures are out of the format now. And some of those are even uncommons too, you know? So it's like, right. And another good example is like, I I think I bought into Rhinos, what, a year and a half, two years ago. And since I, since I purchased the deck, it's always been a tier one deck. You know, it's like, it's, it's never been a bad deck. So, yeah, I remember like when I was playing uh, standard, you know, competitively, I guess I would say like I did do like PPTQs and was at, you know, the weekly events all the time is I remember doing a lot of buying and selling and changing and buying new sideboard cards because of like, yeah, I I played uh, a teamer and then gruel monsters in cons and Kibler was writing like a weekly article on SCG about like, you know, his testing and deck lists and cards that he was doing on like SCG. And so I would kind of like follow that and be making changes or buying like whole new decks. Cause you know, cause I'm myself, I'm like, well, I'm going to buy Alps on mid range now or something like that. Right. And I remember doing a lot more by listening to the store and picking cards up like much more than I do even nowadays. So, um, and then all that investing is kind of sketchy, right? Like Watsy is printing cards into modern directly now. Fewer standard cards are making an impact in these longer term formats. Some of the cards that are expensive in standard are not expensive elsewhere. I mean, they're not useful elsewhere. So like you had to be concerned about like your timing into like entering and exiting standard purchases. Like, oh, rotation's coming up. Am I going to hold on to this or am I going to like sell it? Yeah, I was looking up prices the other day. This is a maybe an extreme example, but I was looking up... Up Gix Yogmoth Praetor and that card uh, had I was looking at it one day it was like I think 15 or 16 bucks that was like you know what that's too expensive and two days later it was already up to $30 and it's oh. like that's a card that you're literally not going to play in any other format it's only good it's only expensive because it's a mythic and a set that wasn't open that much in standard so yeah those the maybe more extreme example but yeah stuff like that yeah now that we're in the RCQ format I have a feeling that some of these standard pieces are going to become more expensive as people are prepping to play these paper events. So what I think is funny too is like, I think Pioneer kind of proved to be more stable than people might have expected. And I, I think it's actually allowed for, for fewer standard power level cards to really enter the format than, than I expected for sure. Like, cause uh, you know, when you look at modern, you're like, well, okay, that's a big bar to clear. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, okay, well, Pioneer, maybe this gives us opportunity for like these standard concepts to, you know, enter the format. And then I think that we have seen the, the power level of Pioneer is surprisingly high and potentially uh, not allowing for that as much as maybe even Watsy hoped, right? Right. And yeah, like, you, you know, you see every, maybe every set, one or two cards get into modern, maybe, you know, three, four or five, maybe an uncommon or two get into Pioneer. But for the most part, yeah, it's like it, even, even the new sets for Pioneer don't, uh, don't add a ton to, to those formats. Another, you know, kind of big part of this, another thing that we want to consider here is fire design, right? There was, yeah, was maybe about three to four years that, so fire Fire design, for those wondering at home, it didn't. I think it technically started in War of the Spark, but Kaladesh 
Kaladesh was really the first set that I can remember where they like were basically just having to ban stuff almost every release, right? It was like you had Felidar Guardian, Emrakul, like that era of stuff, all the energy stuff. And then you had like the, you know, Theros with Once Upon a Time, Oko, that kind of stuff, Ikoria. It was just, it was an absolute mess for about three to four years, right around until Kaldheim. Um, and yeah, just like that really made people lose confidence in the design team, you know, and it's, I, I really yeah. think that over the past couple of years since call time, we've kind of started to see, uh, a little bit of a different design philosophy. And I do think that just sets are designed a little bit uh, better now, but yeah, that, that period of time was rough. Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, we had arena get created arena is primarily like a draft and standard play environment. And that probably ate into people's desire to play paper standard. Like, why do I have to deal with all these paper cards? Why do I have to go to the LGS to play like four rounds over three and a half hours when I could just jam games all day in my PJs? You know, mismatch flannels. Yeah, except my mismatch flannels. Perfect. This is how I want to live. Um, and you know what's what I think's good though. After all this negative stuff is. Real, Watsi was realizing all this, of course, and they started asking some questions to the community in late 22, that Aaron Forsyth uh, sort of Twitter thread that I mentioned. And then in 2023, they started making changes to standard, uh, especially like standard rotation, to try to ensure that people felt more comfortable to buy into the format. So the time that cards would exist in the format would be no longer two years, but now three years. And so that's a big difference. And then the creation of like RCQ seasons meant that they could effectively force people, like they're kind of forcing us to look at standard more seriously if they wanted to qualify for the RCEs to make it to the Pro Tour. And like standard never died. People just changed how they engaged with it. And then the death of the Pro Tour lifestyle, we've got COVID impacting store play. We've got the creation of Arena. We've got the sort of expanse of the popularity of Modern and Pioneer. And But this engagement, I think, is what Watsi wants to change, our engagement with Standard. And I think what they want top-tier competitive play to look like does include Standard. And so here we are. We're talking about it. And I'm more than happy about because I mean, I played standard this week. I did a lot of looking at all these decks and I'm pretty hyped to talk to Devin about them because you've been playing quite a bit. A and I, I think the deck diversity and I think the options that people have to engage with the game is is pretty cool right now. So, I mean, you probably know this, but we're going to talk, you know, what is standard? Um, Technicalities. You know, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's the, it's the oldest 60 card constructed format. It's got the smallest number of legal cards. Like you basically have like nine to 12 sets. You make a deck from the cards in those sets and you play some matches, right? So currently it starts with Innistrad Midnight Hunt and goes through Lost Caverns of Ixalan. And then, you know, new sets come out. Those are going to be legal as well. And then in fall of this year, Innistrad Midnight Hunt, Crimson Vow, Neon Dynasty, and Streets of New Capenna are all going to rotate out. And then future rotations have happen every fall. So yeah. What I think's cool, though, is like, you know, okay, standard's small, right? Like, that mm -hmm. does that mean I don't have as many cool decks to play? But it's got all the archetypes. Like, this is, they, they didn't get created when Modern happened, right? Like, we've got aggressive decks, we've got mid-range decks, we've got control, we've got combo, we've got ramp, whatever you want to play, there's going to be some example of that deck. But I think 
unlike the larger formats, is that the relative power of those archetypes might differ more greatly depending on the environment. Like sometimes aggro is S tier, right? Like sometimes control is just okay. Sometimes it's one of the best decks in the format. Because the, the card pool's smaller and the metagame's more dynamic, um, that's one of the things that I think people have to think about more often than they do in perhaps the other formats. Yeah, I think standard is like when you kind of compare it to modern and pioneer in terms of an average week to week metagame, the number of decks that people play at any given event is probably smaller than the number of decks that people play and, uh, and you know, monitor Pioneer, but that's just because the card pool is smaller. But the other thing you have to think about is it's way more important in standard to have those like be up a, a leg on the metagame, right? In modern, you can like take your team around us that can change one or two sideboard cards and like, okay, that's fine. But in standard, you if one deck is like, let's say, you know, Golgari midrange is bad for a certain week, you can't just change one or two sideboard cards because if you have a bad matchup against a deck that's 20 to 30 percent of the field, then you're just you're just dead on arrival at that point. So you really do have to change the entire archetype week to week as opposed to just fixing up the sideboard slots. Yeah, that's one of the things like I remember when I was getting into magic is, you know, famously people like Brad Nelson were considered like standard metagame masters, right? Like they just knew the deck to bring they knew the tweaks to make they knew like the the creature suite to be running and removal suite and things like that right and i think that's the type of environment where you can get more percentage points than you can with like hey one or two sideboard changes to your modern deck like you were saying right and i think that that's an important point i didn't think about until right now Devin is kind of like in modern i feel like maybe 56 to 60 of your main deck cards are almost kind of like outlined for you Right, like, hey, this deck is is so tuned and so on rails that all of my gameplay is going to happen from the sideboard, and that's definitely not the case for standard, right? Because like the relative power level of many creatures might be pretty even, but they might have really big utility in particular mashups, right? So you can be like, okay, this entire card is out, and I'm going to bring in something else entirely, and so like you can have a pretty big flux in what is considered like an archetype, like you know, Golgari midrange, but you're like, well, yeah, I don't even run Gix anymore. Like I run like this other card entirely, right? And it's just based off of its relative power level compared to other stuff. And that doesn't really happen, I think, as frequently in in formats like Pioneer and Modern because you are your strategy is more on rails. It's kind of like, hey, this is defined. This is what this deck is doing, and I'm not going to mess with that game one. I'm going to tune it after the fact. Yeah, to that to that point, it almost feels like the decks in Pioneer and Modern are maybe. I don't know if this is a good word, to, a good way to describe it, but sort of not one dimensional, but they know, like you mentioned, they know what their plan is doing. And the decks in standard are like, you know, we talked about before the dynamicness, uh, or if that's actually a word, but yeah, people, the, the decks in standard are much more dynamic and they can, they can basically play two different roles, right? Like there's the blue black decks that some of them play more cheap creatures, but those cheap creatures also are you know, good in the mid game and good in the late game and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. these, these cards, because they're, and that's just kind of like more of a design thing because the way that they print cards, they're just good at every stage of the game. <laughs> so, you know, the, the decks are much more capable of fighting, d- playing different sorts of games and, and they're, they're not one dimensional. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's a strength of standard because you know, the concept of mid range until somewhat recently, even in something like modern was almost laughable because it's just kind of like, Hey, I'm going to execute my game plan and you try to stop me 
type thing, right? And and I think that in that's rarely the case in standard. And it's typically more interactive. It's typically more back and forth. And it's typically an environment that allows you to think about your entire 75 in like a very sort of cohesive and uh, cross-sectional way. That's, that's, that's a very fancy way of me saying, you know, you, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not as outlined as perhaps it might be in other formats. Okay, getting to the point of what we're talking about this week, what's standard looking like right now as we enter the RCQ season? So I turned to our data guru, Frank Karsten, author of the Metagame. We love Frank. Oh man, Frank. Thank you, Frank, for, for being here for us. He recently published an overview of the standard metagame in the Metagame Mentor articles. Uh, he was helping people prep for the new RCQ season. So please allow me to aggressively crib from his work. And he uses a point system that he developed to create kind of a winner's metagame share based off of the deck performances and Magic Online events. So he kind of has the overall metagame share and then based on their performance, like how well they're doing kind of overall. And let's start from the top. Most popular deck and best performing deck. So 18% of the overall meta right now, 27% of the winner's metagame right now. That makes it sound scary, but I think what (laughs) we're going to talk about, I I mean, I feel like this is a pretty attackable deck. Um, This is Domain Ramp, and this is the deck to beat in standard right now, but right now means like the last few weeks. Doesn't mean the last six months. And so what Domain Ramp is doing is it uses, you know, cards like Topiary Stomper, Invasion of Zendikar, all like these three mana ramp cards to eventually ramp into a Traxa Grand Unifier or a Kicked Archangel of Wrath. So it has a bunch of Triomes, you know, to support Leyline Binding. It has the seven mana card Herd Migration, mm. which creates a 3-3 beast token for each basic land type you control. So yes, you can, you can basically put 15 power on the board for seven mana. My opponent did it to me this week and I uh, conceded quickly after. It's like the- expensive Rhinos. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good point. It's expensive rhinos, but when you're ramping to it, uh, it's not that you know. It's not that bad. Um, you know, uh, herd migration can also be cast for one in a green to search up a basic land card and gain you three life. So it's a perfect type of ramp card. The speed bump and ramp. Well, not ramp and uh, mana consistency. It's got beanstalk for late game power, but you get the idea. It's got a lot of tapped lands. It's got a high average mana value, so it's pretty slow. So this is where like aggressive decks can get under it and. You know, so but then it's got sweepers, five mana sweepers, sunfall, depopulate, and so that's kind of its general idea. Is I'm going to ramp and I'm going to do something so big you can't go over the top. Right. So, well, the thing is, there's not really going over the top because <laughs> Atraxa is really just the best top end. Yeah, that's the um, top. The the one thing I will say, so I, I put this note here, saying there's no way going over the top of it. There there is one deck that we might get to a little bit later that does maybe have the. You have to go really deep if you want to go over the top of this deck. But the big point is, um, you know, the best way to attack this deck is to go under it. Right. Yes. Because like Shane said, the deck has a lot of enter the battlefield tap lands. It's very expensive. It's got a lot of clunky cards, even something like Topiary Stomper. It can't block until turn five or turn yeah. six. So 
if you can apply a lot of pressure early, that can be very good and maybe like be able to close out the game with a haste creature after a wrath. And then the other big way to attack it is with the Esper decks. The reason that they are good against domain is because they have the cheap pressure plus the disruption. Um, so, you know, they have a good mix of both, but yeah, there's really no, like all of the mid range decks, Golgari, Rakdos mid range, all of this stuff just get completely annihilated by the top yeah. end. Do you think that a big reason that this deck is surging recently is because of Cavern of Souls? Like I think formerly you could play a counter magic deck against this, right? Like, okay, well you cast your, your big angel and I, what's the, the, the one that things does four mana or more it's from cons. Disdainful stroke. Yes. Disdainful stroke, right? Like you could formally disdainful stroke this stuff, but like cavern naming angels gets a Traxa and Archangel of Wrath to be uncounterable. So like that counter strategy got worse. Like what do you think is making this deck so popular and well performing right now? Um, I, I don't necessarily think it's directly related to Cavern of Souls. I just think that there are a lot more people that have been picking up um, non-blue mid-range decks like Rakdos mid-range, Golgari mid-range, and those are basically the exact decks that Domain preys on. So as those decks pick up in popular, like people are putting Trumpet and Carnosaur in their in their Rakdos decks. I've seen that happen a little bit. So they're kind of increasing their curve to be able to keep up with Esper. And when you have a mid-range deck that's increasing its curve, like that recipe is just never ever going to line up against the domain deck, so I think that's part mm -hmm. of it too. Okay, yeah. So we're just seeing the the natural evolution of a smaller metagame, right? We're yeah. just like, okay, like yeah, we're gonna we're gonna respond to it by playing these domain decks. There are a lot of mid range decks in this format, and so I think like the next one to talk about after that is Esper mid range, which is the former top dog of standard. Like you you might have heard Esper mid range be talked about even just in sort of casual observation of competitive magic like the finals of world championship 29 was an esper mid-range mirror um it's at 13.7 of the meta right now 12 percent of the winner's meta you know it's a pretty big difference from the domain deck um you know this is an esper mid-range pile it's got a really high card quality it's got things like wedding announcement it's got the schooner it has rafine scheming seer it's got shieldred the apocalypse and and, you know, it's got a bunch of removal. It's got efficiently costed threats. It has card advantage. It can close the door. It's got all the usual mid-range stuff. So, yeah, I've actually seen some more recent versions of Esper. Uh, I think particularly in the hands of Yo-Man 5, who's been kind of doing very, very well in the Moto challenges over the past couple of weekends, they're kind of lowering their curve a little bit. So okay. traditional Esper decks, you might think of like the, the powerful three and four drops like Shieldred, Gix, Rafine, Wedding Announcement, all that stuff. But they're actually going quite a bit lower to the ground and playing Spyglass Siren, Fairy Dream Thief, Subterranean Schooner, Deep Cavern Bat, Fairy Mastermind. And I think the reason for that is... As we talked about, again, with Domain, you kind of need to apply some amount of early pressure because if you just have a pile of disruption and you're not forcing the Domain deck to do anything, they can eventually just kind of get everything set up, find the cavern, find the Atraxa. So you need that early pressure to be able to make them act in a way that they don't want to act. And that's kind of where the, the Schooner package comes in. Also, one other thing worth noting is Subterranean Schooner is completely insane against people that are playing, that are playing four go for the throat because a lot of the Rakdos single guard decks are more going more on go for the throat and less on uh like bitter triumph cut down to to help against mono red because you don't want bitter triumph paying three life against mono red but as more people put go for the throat and cut down in their deck those cards are look pretty embarrassing against subterranean schooner because it's an artifact yep yeah makes total sense Can't kill it 
All right, into I'm going to talk a little bit more about some other mid-range decks, and then I kind of want to talk about why there are so many different mid-range decks and kind of what your thought process is on when you would pick one or the other besides just, I like these colors type thing. So we've got Rakdos Discover, which is 8.9% of the meta and 7.7% of Frank's winner's meta. So we've got another mid-range deck. This one runs red. Um, and like Bloodbright Elf of olden days, this one uses the Discover Cascade-ish mechanic just for sheer value, right? Like Geological Appraiser, Trumpeting Counterstore, they live strongly on in this deck if you were a, a briefly enjoying it in Pioneer Constructed. And you know the usual suite of like efficient and annoying creatures. We've got Shieldred, of course. There's Cruelty of Gix, a five-mana saga, which can like reanimate an earlier Carnosaur that you cast as a removal spell also triggers the discover effect when it enters the battlefield um you can live the dream discover into you know discover into appraiser and then discover into preacher of the schism like i i dare you to do it you know you want to do it what are your thoughts on this uh, Rakdos is dope. I think Rakdos is pretty good. One thing that I kind of wanted to bring up, I didn't put this in the notes, but I'm going to, I'm going to freestyle here a little bit. So I saw a tweet from Dom Harvey, friend of the show, Dom Harvey the other day, and, uh, he made a tweet. He said, uh, geological appraiser and standard black red is a great example of weird information cascades from people just copy pasting last week's list. Uh, in he's in his words, quote unquote, he says the card is awful. You already have too many good cards all up the curve. Just play those. Um, see, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I like when I played this deck, I was a pretty big fan of, of appraiser. I, I kind of understand where he's coming from, where like, you don't want the kind of the roulette aspect of, you know, you, you remember how with like Bloodbraid Elf and when you were playing with Jun before and you like, didn't want to cast Bloodbraid Elf on an empty board because you could hit like a, a you know, fatal push or something yeah, like that. Exactly. And it's kind of the same thing with appraiser. Like if your opponent has an empty board, it's it's kind of awkward to cast because you have so many two minute removal spells. Um, but the one thing that I will say is that card is unbelievable in the kind of mid range mirror. Like if you're playing against a, an opposing Esper deck or something like that. Um, so just like a, a quick note on appraiser, as far as Rakdos as a whole, I don't really think that we've found the con- a consensus best version of Rakdos yet. Yeah. Because like, I, I remember in Frank's article, he was saying like, there was sort of a reanimator sort of mid range strategy in Rakdos, things like that. Yeah. There there's kind of sort of, I guess three, maybe three and a half versions of Rakdos, but there's the one that's kind of super low to the ground that stops the curve at appraiser. Then there's one that like kind of goes slightly bigger where it's playing appraiser and trumpeting Carnosaur. Mm-hmm. And then there's one that just goes as big as you can possibly go. Like you need to be 10, 10 feet to ride this ride or some kind of thing <laughs> where it's playing like four copies of breach the multiverse, four copies of Atali, a big scores to ramp into those. We can talk about that later, but uh, yeah, no, as far as, as Rakdos is concerned yet, yeah, like this Rakdos discover deck, um, I, I kind of like it, but I think I would, again, as we talked about previously, I think I'd prefer to be lower to the ground. So I think yeah. I would like to be a version that doesn't have Carnosaur and kind of more aggressive with like maybe inties, Gixes, one drops, that kind of stuff. Love it. Next up, our third mid-range deck in a row, if you can believe that. We've got Golgari mid-range. Do you want to play Liliana of the Veil again? Yes. Do you like drawing cards and losing life? Heck yeah. Do you live in a swamp? Uh, undecided. <laughs> well, here you go, Shrek. Here's your deck. We've got... Just call me Shrek. Well, I mean, you live in, you, well, you don't live in the swamp, but you know, our <laughs> listeners out there, if they live in swamps... There you go. Um, So, I mean, much like Esper, much like Rakdos, this is a value deck, but in black-green. It's got removal, 
It's got high toughness creatures. It's got hand disruption. It's got a strong creature land in Restless Cottage. And this can take you back to the olden days of modern when Golgari Midrange was a deck that you could conceivably play. Well, if your name is Electric Bob, then you can still play Golgari Midrange in modern. <laughs> um, but shout out to Electric Bob. This is so Shane, this is Yeah. Yeah, the, the rock in his millions. This is the deck that I have played by far the most out of all of these decks. Um, I okay. checked my MTG untapped stats, and I think I was 26 and 6 with it. Um, so I've been winning a lot and not losing a lot with this deck. Uh, <laughs> it is my number one choice for when I get out to an RCQ, which I hope I get to do soon, but oh. it's hopefully sometime in the in the near future. Yeah, this deck is, I think this deck is busted. It's kind of, so the reason I think it's so good and kind of better than the other mid-range decks is it has all of the tools that you would want in a mid-range mirror. So we kind of talk about all these mid-range decks. You'll, you'll notice they all, they're all they all playing black, right? Because black is the best mid-range color. But what are the, the supporting casts, right? So you have Esper that has Rafine. You know, it's good, but it does die to removal. You have Red, which has Appraiser a little bit better because it has Appraiser and all these two-for-ones. But then you get to Golgari. And you have what I think is maybe the most important mid-range card in the entire format, which is Mosswood Dread Knight. So that card is so good because it is just incredibly flexible, right? If you're playing against a deck you need to race, you just have a two mana three two, and that's totally fine and acceptable. If you have a bunch of stuff going out on your hand, you can play it. If they kill it, okay, who cares? You just cast it again next turn. Um, so it's really good at grinding. It's really good at pressuring. It's insane at trading. Like it's, it basically just stonewalls Gix by itself because nobody wants to attack a Gix into that thing. It'll just block and cast it again next turn. So I think that card is just, just so phenomenally good in the mid-range mirrors to the point where people have actually started main decking anoint with affliction just to deal with the Moss Witch Red Knight. And what does that card do? Uh, it's a two mana removal spell. It says exile a creature that has mana value three or less. Okay. So it doesn't hit a lot, but it hits, it exiles, which is important against Dread Knight. Okay. So, so it's all about, the, it's all about the Dread Knight. What about like, is, is Restless Cottage like worth going out of your way for, do you think? Or do you think all the creature lands are pretty even? I think all the creature lands are kind of the same to me. I mean, Cottage is is fine. It's four. It's five, uh, four mana. Make a four four. Uh, when it attacks, you exile a card from a graveyard and get a food. It's fine. But like, okay. I guess if I had to pick the best of the creature lands across the mid range deck, blue white is probably the best one. Yeah, the, the flyer, the anchorage. Yeah, the flyer is probably gi- the best. The gigantic one. flying island thing. <laughs> Yeah, no, that one's good. It's like a two-two. Um, the other really, really nice thing about Golgari is you get Sentinel, the Nameless City, and the reason that card is good is for toughness. There's a lot of like three threes and three twos, like Geological Gix, all that kind of stuff, opposing Dread Knights. So. Yeah, yeah, the toughness here I think is clutch for against the aggressive red deck. Yep, um, that too. You, you just get you just get the toughness here that I think, like you said, can either be blocking or be trading or things like that. So, And then one one last note on Golgari, the, a, a very, very important, another three drop, of course, is Glissa. So, you know, the domain matchup is not good. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's probably <laughs> your worst matchup for Golgari. But the games you win typically do involve Glissa because a Glissa, when it attacks, can blow up an enchantment. So, like, if they binding something and you hit mm. them with Glissa, you can just blow up their binding and get your thing back. Okay. I like it. Okay, so if you think Golgari is the best, 
and I think we can see why people would probably want to play Rakdos, maybe just for like the fun discover nature. What's the deal with Esper? Like when would someone choose Esper over over Golgari if we're comparing those two decks? So of the three mid-range decks, Esper has the best chance against Domain because it has blue for counterspells. Okay. So that's yeah, the so. reason you would play Esper. So I think it's like Esper is probably like better than Rakdos in the mid-range fights in the mid-range heads ups, but but uh but it's definitely better against Domain. And then Golgari is probably the best against mid-range, but the worst against Domain. Okay, this makes sense. Any concept of like a Sultai deck out of the Golgari, or does the mana not support it? Well, Shane, it's funny you ask that because I've been <laughs> thinking, I've been thinking about that. Um, like I've been, I've been kind of labbing ways on how to beat the domain deck with Golgari. The two things that I came up with was either splashing blue for counter spells and just praying to God the mana works, or <laughs> Playing, that, that always works really well historically in Magic. <laughs> or just sideboarding a bunch of Breach the Multiverses to hit their Atraxes. And is Breach that, is it seven mana? Is it five mana? What's seven. the Breach one? Was that the one I was asking you about? Like, when do you bring this in? And like yes. Stanislav jokingly goes for the grindy matchups. <laughs> He's not wrong, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, yeah, anything uh, that's that, that high mana value has got to be, right? Seven mana, each player mills 10, and then you reanimate something from both players' graveyards. Okay, I can do that. So Sounds you can good. Like, get your children in their Atraxa, and then it's just like, you know. So it's a win con. Yeah. All right. Mid-range piles. And now we're into the good stuff. We're into the aggressive decks. So, you know, it's below the ramp deck. It's below the mid-range deck in terms of the winner's metagame share. This still can clearly contend in Azorius Soldiers, which is 6.6% of the metagame, but 7.7% of the winner's metagame, which if you were listening closely before is kind of right about where Golgari Mid and Rakdos Discover decks currently are as well. So we could effectively say, based on Frank's recent analysis, uh, Azorius Soldiers is, is up there. So it's called soldiers but it's kind of a misnomer at this point like because the number of actual soldiers in the deck seems like it's actually dropped over time like this is azorius flash like there's a lot of opportunities to have fun and be tricky here like you can represent spells you can represent um you know instants you can represent creatures like you can really play around your opponent or make them think you have something you don't and that can cause a lot of consternation i think especially for inexperienced opponents like if i was facing down azorius flash um, if I didn't have like deck list up in front of me, like I just feel like whatever, like I'm just going to go and see what you got. Like, you know, you've got Zephyr Sentinel, you've got Make Disappear, you've got Resolute Reinforcements, you've got Werefox Bodyguard, you've got Tishana's Tidebinder. These are all cards at your disposal in this deck. And we've got cards like Knight Errant of Eos. Um, you've probably heard us mention that for like um, Pioneer Boros Prowess. You've got Virtue of Loyalty. These cards give you some staying power, some inevitability. But I called this an aggressive deck. But Devin, when I'm looking at the list, it doesn't seem like hyper aggressive to me. Right. And it's it's definitely not as much as you mentioned, like it has been in, in previous versions. Um, the most popular approach to kind of the blue-white, I guess we'll call it like I don't want to call it mid-range because we just had a bunch of mid-range decks, but like aggressively slanted mid-range. Um, really the only soldier payoff left here. And remember, these versions you previously played, I can't, what's the name of the other Lord? It's um, Valiant Veteran, I think. It was like two minute, two, two, gives all your stuff plus one, plus one, and then you can exile from your graveyard to put a counter on all your creatures. Um, we no longer have that card. The only soldier payoff we have really is Harbin Vanguard Aviator, which is a really good payoff, not going to lie. That card's very good. It's uh, blue and white for a 3-2 flyer, and whenever, you, I think it it has to, no, whenever you attack with five or more soldiers, all of your stuff gains flying until end of turn. That's a lot of soldiers. 
Yeah, but like you, you have resolute reinforcements that makes a body. You have a bunch of one drops, Zephyr Sentinel. Um, but yeah, it really kind of does play out like a flash deck where you are kind of maybe pressuring them a little bit early with uh, the one drop, the name, the card that I can never remember, the one that you look at cards, the, you know, the one I'm talking this. Yeah, you know Freeman Inspector, I love him. No, no, the one that you pay for, <laughs> look at the top four cards, get a Man, soldier. Uh, uh, what? Sir- the Siren? No, that, no that's we'll, from, no, go ahead. We'll get, we'll get it later. But that card, that's, you. basically you want to apply pressure with that stuff and, um, you know, kind of use your counter spells to back those up. There is a different version of Azorius, which basically takes all of the small creatures out of the deck and just the only sorcery speed stuff, it, the only sorcery speed card in the entire deck basically is Wedding Announcement. And then it's even more flash stuff, Wandering Emperors, more counter spells, um, Fairy Mastermind, Max Virtue of Loyalties. So I think that might be the more the version of Azorius that I kind of prefer a little bit more, because I think when you start to add more of the small stuff to your deck, you end up a little bit worse off in the mid range fights because your okay. cards trading for cut down. Like you don't want to play a one. You don't want to play even a one mana card that trades with cut down. You kind of need all your stuff to get value. And that's where the more flat, that's where the flash version kind of excels to me is in those mid range decks. But yeah, blue white, uh, a couple of different ways to build it, but yeah, definitely, definitely a good deck. It, when are you picking this deck? Right, like you know, we're talking about some mid-range piles. We kind of talked about when you might choose Golgari, when you might choose Esper. Uh, when are you looking at like Esper's soldier? Excuse me, Azorius soldiers, Azorius flash is seems like it's hanging with those other decks. But I'm curious, what do you think is giving it that power? So I think as we talked about domain, one of the best ways to go to beat domain is go under it. Yeah. And I think the soldier focused version that plays the one drops that plays Zephyr Sendel and Harbin, that deck can not only go under it, but also have the counter spells that you need to. So I think that has like it's that might be one of domain's worst matchups because again, it has the early pressure, but then you have the counter spells to be able to fight over the wraths. Okay, that makes total sense. So now we're talking with this next deck. We've got mono red aggro, 7.7% of the meta, 6.1% of the winner's meta. Mono red in standard, name a more perfect duo. The evergreen statement, mono red. I guess it could be uh, ever ever red statement. You you got your haste creature. You got a lot of haste creatures in this deck. So much haste. And All of them. That's really what made the deck for me when I play tested it this weekend was like, it's almost like you can win, you can win out of nowhere very often and frequently in past formats when I played mono red is rebuilding from a wrath took some time and you can rebuild from a wrath really quickly with this mono red deck. You've got the creatures, you've got the burn spells, you've got monastery swift spear back. So let's go. I mean, this does what you expect, which is attack burn even runs like cards like Witchstalker Frenzy, which can take out a Shieldred that's trying to stabilize, which is quite nice. I think in a world that's currently dominated by Domain Ramp, I think this is probably the most direct counter. And, you know, of course, one that I'm fine having exist again in the format. But what do you think about Red right now, Devin? We see it's, you know, it's clearly a little bit below these other decks in terms of winning. Right. Now, you know, I will preface this by saying I do think that Mono Red is quite good against Domain. Like if you are expecting 
upwards of 30 to 35 percent of your your tournament being domain you could do worse than this deck right mm -hmm. uh the one issue that i have with mono red is i think it just has a really abysmal mid-range matchup because the mid-range decks are getting so much better at being able to like they're they're lowering their curve they're adding more cutdowns they're playing more two drops more three drops and yeah. as the mid-range decks lower their curve and it's kind of like this weird, you know, we talked about the cyclical nature of standard before. So you have domain and you have if domain becomes very, very good, what are the best ways to attack domain? Lower your curve, make play more cheap cards right now. If you have a mid range deck that's playing, that's like already probably OK against mono red. If they're even lowering their curve yeah. to be able to beat yeah, domain, yeah, yeah. then where where are you? What what else are you beating besides the, the domain deck at that point? And that's kind of where I think mono red sits. So at this current time, at the time of recording, I don't I would not recommend choosing mono red for for the RCQ. But who knows? Maybe a week or two from now, things go back to the way they were before, where people are playing less domain mid range decks increase their curve again yeah. and that might be a good time to pounce and you, you, basically with mono red you have to pick the perfect weekend to play it and as of right now I, I i don't think it's the right time yeah like i think there are ways to make mono red better against those mid-range decks but then i think you're probably diluting the core strategy that you need to win right like if you're bringing in removal spells to try to like chip in with your creatures, I think you're going to have a harder time than if those creatures were just hitting in in the first place and you were like lightning striking your opponent or something like that. So I think like you're in a tough spot. I, I see what you're saying. Like I had some pretty cozy matchups against like Domain, against like, uh, it was, I think it was like, it was pretty Azorius control E type feeling. Like it was kind mm -hmm. of a bigger Azorius deck that I played. And, you know, I, I think I, I won both of those 2-1, but you know, if the opponent starts stabilizing, you're in a really tough spot, like any aggressive deck like this. And I think, like you're saying, is these mid-range decks can stabilize much more quickly than the slower domain deck and any type of control strategy that someone's trying to employ on you. So one thing that I did see over the weekend, uh, I think it was Zen Takahashi tweeted that they won an RCQ over the weekend with Mono Red, and their particular version had four main deck Urbrask's Forge. It's a card that's very commonly sideboarded in Mono Red, but I actually kind of like that approach a little bit where you are going just a little bit bigger. You're not going super big, like playing a bunch of four drops and all that stuff to the point where you're diluting your deck, but you're going just big enough to have that one haymaker in the mid-range matchups because yeah. a lot of these mid-range decks don't have a way to remove that card from the battlefield, especially in a game one situation. Yeah, I mean, we saw something similar happen, and I don't think for the same reasons at all, but do you remember like the days of Big Red in Pioneer? Where it's just like, hey, we're mm -hmm. going to keep making this deck bigger, and we're going <laughs> to keep. How big can we make it? Yeah, exactly. Like you know, can we can we be casting like five mana? Can we be casting like Stormbreath Dragons effectively in my aggressive red deck? And I think like that's again one of the options you have in this type of environment, right? Where it's like, hey, if I'm going against more low to the ground um, mid-range decks, what do I need to have in my board, a potentially main deck, because there are flex spots here, that's going to get me the edge. Like, am I going to be casting, you know, flying hasters? Or am I going to be casting, you know, cards that kind of can avoid their removal or pass their power and toughness test and things like that? And I think, like, those are the options that do exist in the format. I don't think the deck probably plays as well as it wants to on the aggressive end, meaning, like, I think it's a better aggressive deck than big red deck. I wasn't, I wasn't really 
really impressed with the higher mana value cards that were in the list I played at all. Like I, I cast one once, I think it was four, it was like a four mana three, three had haste. And when it attacked, it gave, it put like a one, one counter on something else, which oh, seemed, Raiju. I'm sorry. Thundering Raiju. That sounds right. Right. And, yeah. and uh, what, for a four mana three, three haster, even with the small sort of like counter synergy thing, like I, I, I assumed this thing flew. So <laughs> no, it does not. <laughs> I, no, it doesn't fly, man. I turned I turned it sideways into uh, my opponent's creatures, and we were we were chit chatting because it was you know pretty casual, and we were just having some fun. We were both like new at standard, and my opponent was like, "Yeah, I had to check that twice too," because <laughs> he was like, "Why is he attacking with this?" If you uh, look at the art, it does kind of look like it would have fly. Yes, it looks kind of like a dragon to me. I looked more closely, and I was like, "Okay, I see what they're doing here. They're they're pulling one over on Shane." So yeah, um. Yeah, even a four mana three three haster doesn't get flying these days. Uh, we're not in fire design any longer. That's like hidden reach, but the reverse of hidden reach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's definitely it's. Uh, what's the card that everyone always forgets has reach or ha- forgot that they had reach? Man, what was it? Westing oh, beast, right? Uh, yes, probably because it has like eight different other lines of text. I hate to bring us back to this, Devin. Other mid range decks. We've we've got people playing Demir. We've got people playing Orizov. We've got people playing other types of Rakdos mid. I was going to skip over these entirely. You valiantly wrote a little bit about each one of them. So what are, what are your thoughts on the style of decks? Well, before we get to that, do you want to do Orizorius tokens? Or do you want to you know, skip that one? Oh, uh, yeah, let's do Azorius Tokens. You're right, because I did skip that. We'll just roll, we'll just rewind a little bit. Azorius Tokens, 2.9% of the meta, 3. 3.7% of the winner's meta. This looks like your kind of deck, Devin. What is what is going on here? I'm going to let you run with this one. All right, so what this deck is trying to do, it's really centered, centered around the card Invasion of Segovia. So that card is two and a blue makes uh, two one one tokens and I believe it's defense it's a battle and I believe it's defense is four and the backside is a three three that says non-creature spells you control have convoke and at the beginning of your end step you can untap four creatures. So <laughs> what you are doing you're laughing. What's funny? Oh, it's sick. I, I forgot. About, I knew that made the non-creature spells have Convoke. I didn't oh, know okay. it also untapped them. Oh, it does everything. Yeah, that, that card is broken. So what you're kind of trying to do is you have some early token-y type stuff. Like you have Warden of the Inner Sky. Uh, you have Spyglass Siren. So those cards kind of work well together because Spy makes two things for Warden. And then your two drops are like Regal Bunnicorn, Subterranean Schooner, and the virtue of loyalty. So you're curving that stuff like the best curve. This is kind of the dream. You know, we all talk about the dream scenario. Spyglass Siren into Schooner into Segovia. You use a token to crew the Schooner Four power, flip the Segovia End step untap four dudes. You have four creatures untapped to cast whatever spell you want. That's turn three. What about, I mean, there's other lines too, like bunny, like uh, regal bunny corn Mm -hmm. into invasion of Segovia. Yeah, that does it by itself. And then, yeah, then the bunny corn can just defeat and flip it. And then you go, you go, just go hog on that, right? Yeah. Yep. And then uh, you kind of back that up with removal. You have get lost, wandering emperor. And then, um, yeah, I mean, it's like, it's just, this was one of the first decks that I played when I started testing standard because I just have this infatuation with an invasion of Segovia. (laughs) I've tried to build a lot of different decks that in Pioneer and stuff. And unfortunately, it's not not quite there in Pioneer, but in standard, we, we do get to play it. And I think it is quite good. 
my, my kind of main issue with this deck is it's a little more vulnerable to cut down where you have like Regal Bunnicorn. Like if you don't have a Siren or a Warden, even if you just go like Warden into Bunnicorn, it's only a 2-2. So you have to be a little bit careful with your Bunnicorns because you really don't want to get that thing cut down. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, but I mean, as far as the deck is concerned, it is... Yeah, I mean, Warden's another card that's not great against Cutdown, where you just, like, play it on turn one and they kill it. So, I mean, the Cutdown being in all the mid-range decks make, would make me maybe shy away from this. Um, the one thing that I, just as kind of, like, this this quick aside, and I we kind of talked about this earlier when we they had this, you know, this uh, schooner rant. Um, people just need to be playing less Go for the Throats and more Bitter Triumphs, right? It's like, you know, you pay three life. That's fine in the grand scheme of things. Maybe you play against Mono Red and that's unfortunate. But um, yeah, I mean, it's people just, you got to play more more Bitter Triumphs to be able to kill these Schooners because the Esper decks are starting to play more. The Demir decks are playing more. You mm -hmm. have this deck that's playing it. Azorius Soldiers is sometimes playing it. So play less Go for the Throats. <laughs> Okay, we'll do. I mean, this deck looks really snowball-y. Like, it looks really fun when you're winning, and it looks horrible when you're losing. Like, it looks like it's pretty fragile, and that's probably, like, I would guess its biggest weakness. is like, yeah, when you win, you're going to win, and you're going to have fun doing it, but maybe it's not the right metagame. Like, I don't know. Like, when when do you think this is good? Like, is, is this appreciably better than any of the other aggressive decks against, like, ramp or something like that? Or maybe, like, a mid-range metagame? But I feel like you don't want to see removal in something like this that much. I don't know. Yeah, it's in a weird position where I think it's not not, it's not that great against the mid-range decks that have cut down because, again, we talked about cut down is very good against your one drops and even good against Bonicorn sometimes. And I don't think you're quite aggressive enough to be a, a heavy favorite against Domain. So it's kind of in this weird middle ground. Um, but you ask, why would you play it? Just because you like Invasion of Scovia. And I like that card. So it's very important to play cards that you like. Did you know that? Play decks I did that, know that play cards that you enjoy casting and you'll enjoy magic more. I mean, I think this is cool. Like I kind of I want to I want to test this online for sure, just to like have some kicks with it. But I, I definitely feel like there's going to be much like, let's say, you know, prowess in modern or something like that. Like the games when I'm losing, I'm just going to be like, why am I doing this? Like, why am I, why am I trying this? Yeah. It's a very, very high roll deck where, like you said, the, the highs are extremely high, but the lows are like, you know, you, you open a hand that's like Regal, Bunnicorn, Invasion of Segovia, which I mean, I guess that's fine by itself, but <laughs> if great. they kill your, if they kill your Bunnicorn and then you like have these two tokens, they have to wait two turns to flip your invasion. And it's like the deck does have some very, very anemic draws. Yeah, so not quite the consistency we might want for an RCQ deck, but if you're having some fun on Magic Online or Arena, go for it. Okay, back to these other mid-range decks. I mean, I don't know a lot about them. I, I do know, I believe, a good handful of people at the NRG um, brought Demir mid as their uh, standard choice. I don't know. That's what Dykeman won with. Yeah, yeah. Dykeman won with it. I remember that. So uh, what do you think went into his thought process or anyone's thought process for playing something like, you know, Demir? So it's weird because a lot of the cards that are in the Demir deck are basically the same thing as Esper, where you have the cutdowns, the removal spells, the shield rids, uh, Gixes, schooners, all that stuff, right? The reason that you would choose to play Demir over Esper is mana considerations, right? You know, once yeah. a three color deck, this Demir's two color deck, you're removing a little bit of that variance by cutting the third color. 
but you are losing a little bit of percentage points in the mid-range matchups because you don't have Rafines or wedding announcements to kind of keep up with their opposing, you know, card advantage engine. You have you don't have quite as a powerful three drop like they do. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of where you would want to be. I think Demir is probably also slightly better against red. Again, mana considerations. You have less tap lands, mm-hmm. less pain lands, stuff like that. Um, and then I think the last bit of a last point of contention here is, uh, as again, we're, we've, we've kind of reiterated this the entire show going under domain, right? Because you have a better mana base, you're playing one less color. You can afford to play more one drops. You, you go Spyglass Siren, Deep Cavern, no, not Deep Cavern, Spyglass Siren, Fairy Dream Thief. Uh, I've even seen Stalactite Stalker in these blue black decks. So just a pile of one drops, more two drops, stopping the curve at like Gix, maybe a couple shield rids. And that is, um, I, I think, a better recipe versus domain. And you still have the counter spells, right? You're still playing blue black. So I think it's uh, much, much better against domain than Esper is. Okay. I mean, that's really important. Is it better against the domain deck than Golgari? Yeah, yeah, because of the counter spells, right? Yeah, 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 any any yeah. of the any of the blue mid range decks, this basically, if you if you kind of rank all of the mid range decks compared against domain, it's like the blue mid range decks tier one, Rakdos like tier two and a half, and then you have Golgari like underneath <laughs> the, the tier list. So yeah, that that's pretty much where it is. Yeah, it's like completely off graphic. You have to like scroll down in your YouTube. Yeah. Okay. What about Rakdos mid? We we I mean we kind of talked about this a little bit right like is this kind of just the not having discover or what's going on here so when i looked at i actually i pulled up frank's kind of classification because you can actually if you go to frank's table you can click on the archetype name and it'll bring up a sample deck list yes so the only difference between this rack mid deck and the rectos discover deck is we talked about earlier it's increasing the curve a little bit it's playing trumpeting cardosaur Basically, okay. everything else is the exact same. It's just the curve is, is slightly higher, not as high as the, you know, the the ramp decks. Um, but yeah, pretty much everything is the same. And again, again, we we want to talk about this again. Increasing your curve is not where you want to be if you're playing against domain. But Carnosaur is uh, a little bit better against the, uh, the other mid-range decks. One other thing worth noting is I believe, and I might be mistaken, but I think this version plays more Cavern of Souls than the other Rakdos version, mm-hmm. and that also Cavern of Souls, Trumpet, and Carnosaur is really good against Esper. Okay. I'm, I'm appreciating in this conversation that we're having, um, you know, after writing all the notes and stuff like that, is like, I, I'm really hoping that people who are still listening to this episode are... All are, two of them. Yeah, are appreciating kind of what we're getting into here, I guess we as generous, what you're getting into here is the thought process that you can have in terms of something that's effectively the same deck, but making these changes that are actually really significant, right? Where it's like, okay, I'm going to play this whole new creature that's going to really change the way my can, my deck can approach the format. And, it, and, and that's the kind of stuff in standard actually happens often, right? And I think that's really cool because not to, you know, revisit the point entirely, but we don't or can't really do stuff like that in modern, I think, because it's just like the options aren't there to do it, right? Or, or just are, are frequently not there in the same way. Like we might have, you know, three to four uh, flex slots in something like Rhinos, but we're not going to add a whole new creature to the deck um, 
because it's just like the options aren't there. Like nothing's going to have the power level or allow us to cascade into rhinos because of like mana value considerations. And so those are the type, you know, or, or it's just like the power level of the card is is based entirely around a matchup. And we see that happen much less frequently in standard, right? Like we're not saying like, okay, I'm going to bring in this card because it's good against this one particular, you know, deck. Like I'm not going to, It's it would be like playing, um, what's the, what's the Charizard that blows up lands that we can play in rhino sideboards the Charizard, obsidian Charmall. yes obsidian charizard, charizard. Uh, so like you know we're not going to run obsidian Charmall main deck in rhinos it's just not going to happen because you know when it's not great it's kind of bad but because the power level is flatter and standard we can run these cards that are potentially not amazing but you can then tune it for a particular meta you're expecting. And even if they're not amazing, they're serviceable in ways that like Obsidian Charma would not be. And I think that that is kind of like, that can't be more fun, right? Where it's just like, hey, I'm going to tweak and tune and consider and predict and make some more significant changes than just like my 13th through 15th sideboard card, which is again, I said this earlier, but I'm kind of like, appreciating it now in this conversation. Yeah. One last thing I just wanted to kind of, just cause you mentioned it, I wanted to pull up the, I have the Rectus decks on my other screen side by yeah. side. So they both have blood tithe. They both have deep cavern. They both have appraiser. They both have gix. They both have preacher. Uh, they both have, well, one has shielded, one has archfiend. So the difference is the other kind of lower to the ground deck has fairy dream thief and inti. The other deck has uh, more it has a bone horde Dracosaur and then trumpeting Carnosaur. So it's like you're just swapping a two drop for a six drop. Now you might ask why you would do that, but it is to make you a little bit better in the mid range matchups. Word. So what's up with Orzov? This is not something that I've seen very much of, even in my sort of casual observations of standard. So it, it is labeled Orzov in MTG Goldfish, and, and uh, I believe it was labeled Orzov on Franks as well, but it's kind of fake Orzov. It's just mono white with a very, very light black splash for a couple of Breach the Multiverses to help go over the top of Domain, and a couple of Virtues to help as, you know, removal. Virtue is so good, by the way, because it's just like split card of removal spell. It, it's like the perfect card where it's good early because you just want to kill their creature, and then it's your best top deck when you have seven mana because it's just an enchantment that if you untap, you win the game, so... <laughs> Perfect. Shout out to Virtue, by the way. Perfect card. Um, but yeah, it's really so it's utilizing a lot of cheap removal, which, by the way, I think Laydown Arms might be one of the best removal spells in the format, but it's hindered, obviously, by its restrictiveness. You need a lot of planes, and this okay. deck is okay. essentially mono white. So it's got Laydown Arms and Get Lost for removal. Mid-range threats like Restoration of a Ganjo, which can help you hit land drops and, and eventually flip into a 3-4, Wandering Emperor. And then the top end of the curve for finishers, Sanctuary Warden, Eternal Wanderer, and then Bridge the Multiverse that we already talked about. Um, the way that I kind of think about this is I think it's much more of a control deck than a mid-range deck okay. because it's playing all those cheap removal spells. It's not necessarily playing mid-range threats in the true fashion like you know, the Mosswood Dread Knights and the Gixes, it's not really trying to utilize those to apply pressure. It's really just trying to utilize those to get advantage and go later into the game. Does this get to run? Like, I feel like Orzov has frequently had like a lot of cool planeswalkers that don't see a lot of play. 
Like they just sort of have a lot of like interesting reanimation or like creature generation slash control. Like do those get to run like cool planeswalkers or maybe just the wandering emperor? Uh, the list that I have seen usually only have the wandering emperor. Like I'm taking a look at the list that Claudio, cause Claudio is the kind of the real proponent of this. Okay. Uh, he only has four emperors and one eternal wanderer in the main deck. And then in the sideboard, he has one Nakaya intangible slayer. Is the, that Soren is still legal, right? Like the pretty good mid range Soren. Is that, Still the four drop? Player? Yeah, the four drop, yeah. Yeah, it is, but this deck, because as we talked about, is basically model white. It's a double oh, black yeah, card. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like, work. the mana base is only, it, like, if I'm looking at the mana base, it's four Rafine's Tower, two Swamps, and then four Field of Ruin, Demolition Field, Obscura Storefront. That's the Esper. Um, it basically, ETBs doesn't make mana. You sack it, gain a life, and search for a Plains or a Swamp. And then <laughs> nine nine Plains, two Swamps. So it's okay. it's a very, very light black splash. You, yeah, you, you wouldn't have the ability yeah, you, to play yeah, a double black Yeah, you can't card. double black it, right? I mean, this is the kind of thing, like, we'll talk about this probably starting next week, but we're starting to get spoilers for the new set. And I think that four mana Kaya Walker looked pretty decent. So we'll see. I didn't I didn't end up reading it because it had way too many words on it. So I'm just going <laughs> to take knew? your word for it. But I mean, I don't think it's like, I mean, it's not blowing the doors off, but I think it's a perfectly good four mana Walker if there's a deck to support it. So, and that's the kind of thing too, where like, you know, that's the kind of thing that can make an impact on a smaller format. Right. Devin, you have this one up next. And I think you referenced this earlier, like a control Rakdos. Mm, not it's more of ramp than control this is what we call you can either there's two ways to describe it you can call it big rakdos or huge rakdos okay that's that's what you describe let's go big huge huge big rakdos how how is rakdos ramping my friend so it's really it depends there's some list most of the list that i've seen so basically all of them have four big scores that's kind of like step one that's level one is that treasure um yeah, so it's four mana, instant, discard a card, draw two, make two treasures. Okay, I like two treasures. And what's perfect about that is you cast it on four, and then you have turn five, you play your fifth land, you have five lands, two treasures, five and two is seven. That oh. makes Itali or Breach the Multiverse. Yes. So it just curves perfectly into that seven drop that you're playing. Um, I have seen some of these lists. I- I've seen upwards of four Itali and four Breach the Multiverse in the same deck. So they're really going deep. The other ramp spells they play sometimes is the two mana rock, which is the Iron Crag, and then also the Celestis, which is a three mana rock. So that's usually the ramp spells. You have a lot of sweepers, burn down the house, Brotherhood's end main deck. They're you know, they're definitely being prepared for the more lower to the ground mid-range decks and mono red decks. And then you have, I mean, that's pretty much it. Removal, ramp, fatties, uh, or big stuff at the big stuff at the top, excuse me. There's like, there's no aggressive creatures. There's no mid-range threats. It's just kill your stuff, ramp. Here's a seven drop. That's that's what it's trying to do. Okay. We've mentioned Atali a few times, and I don't feel like this is enough of a household name that I'm, I'm not going to tell people what it is. That's a, it's a five red, red, seven, seven trampling legendary elder dinosaur. Sick. When it ETBs, each player exiles cards from the top of their library until they exile a non-land card. Okay. You may cast any number of spells from among the non-land cards exiled their way without paying their mana costs. That seems okay. So you get a seven, seven and two spells. You can also transform it for a nine and a Phyrexian green. I did uh, that once. It becomes an 11-11 indestructible trample uh, that also deals uh, poison counters as damage. It basically 
has player death touch. Yeah, it's perfect. I love it. So yeah, that's I a, did, that's a good seven drop. I, I did play against this deck one time where they cast Itali on seven. Itali flipped their trumpeting carnosaur and my shieldred. Right, so they have both of those. Their trumpeting carnosaur hit uh, cruelty of Gix, which reanimated another Itali. The second Itali hit another trumpeting carnosaur, and that carnosaur hit something else. So they just like they cast one Itali, and they had like seven creatures in play. It was completely <laughs> insane. <laughs> Um, speaking of something mildly wild, uh, we've got Azorius Craft up next. This is actually, I think, the Azorius deck that I thought was sort of controlling, but now I realize that they were doing uh, sort of craft shenanigans. This is at like 2.6% of the meta, more or less, overall, and I don't really know what my opponent was trying to do besides like some stuff that seemed pretty cool. Like, What have you experienced with this deck? I played a couple matches with it and it's kind of, it's kind of a funky one. It's a, it's a, it's a strange one. Um, so from the best that I can understand it, it's trying to utilize fabrication foundry and Thran spider as like this ramp engine. So foundry is, uh, it's a two mana mana rock. It taps for white mana, but you can only use that mana for artifacts. Okay. And then Thran spider is a three colorless, colorless three mana, two, four, when it enters the battlefield, you and your opponent get a map token or not a map token. Uh, um, Power Stone. Power Stone. Yeah. Power Stone, yes. So both of those get you from get you to five mana on turn four, right? And then you have eight. The deck that I played had eight five drops. So it was four Might Stone and Weak Stone and four Unstable Glyph Bridge. <laughs> okay. Uh, a lot of people might not know what Glyph Bridge is. It's three white, white. It's an artifact. Three white, white. When it enters the battlefield, each player chooses a creature from among the creatures they control with power two or less and destroy everything else. So if like they, let's say they curve like, I don't know, maybe like Mosswood, Dread Knight into Gix into Shieldred and you have a Thran Spider, you get to keep your spider, they lose everything else. Mm -hmm. So it's a pretty powerful Wrath and all of these cards like Fabrication Foundry, Glyph Bridge, they all have not foundry but it has other ability they all have secondary effects so foundry can get stuff back from the graveyard glyph bridge crafts into this angel that starts attacking your opponent your removal spell which is spring-loaded saw blades even also has a craft ability so it's that one is two mana deal five to a tap creature and then you can just flip it into a five five so like all of these cards they kind of play dual roles where they're killing their stuff early and then later in the game you're just kind of using that stuff to kind of flip into it mm-hmm. um yeah, it's, it's got everything sort of transformed in the end like everything sort of right. just like had like early utility and late utility if they could sort of like buy themselves the time and make things happen like braided braided net like braided net was cool right like even it was just annoying like they were like tapping my stuff down and then like eventually it flips and they get a bunch of card advantage and you're like well the game's over yeah no, I, fl- I got to flip Braided Net and draw nine cards, and that was uh, a pretty good feeling. <laughs> Seems okay. And then on top of all that, you get to melt, because you have the Mightstone and Weakstone, and you play the the three-mana Urza, uh, Lord Protector, I think is what it's called, where if you can, I think Urza says you can pay seven mana if you have both that and the Mightstone and Weakstone, and it melds into this Planeswalker that has five <laughs> abilities, and you can use abilities twice each turn. It, it wins the game on the spot, basically. That seems sweet. Uh, and I got to do that. I got to meld once, and it was really fantastic. And yeah, your melding experiences, you don't forget, because they're, they're, no. they're novel ones, for sure. Oh, yeah. But that was cool. I don't know. It's. I feel like it's a little clunky for what it's trying to do, and the biggest issue is it doesn't get to play cheap removal. Right, you have yeah, saw blades yeah. and casket, but you don't have any one mana removal. So you're kind of in this weird spot where it kind of feels like you're stuck playing one spell per turn. 
up until like turn four, or turn five. And especially with all the mid range decks providing, like having these cards that put so much pressure on you early and also get cards back, it seems really tough to keep up with that. Yeah, makes total sense. Up next, I think, is a potential sleever that I think is kind of growing in popularity quickly, and that's Bant Toxic, which Frank has at 2% of the meta, but 4% of the winner's meta. It's So this is pretty quietly just behind a lot of the decks we've been talking about at 4% of the winner's meta. And like Modern Infect, this is designed to get the opponent to 10 poison counters as quickly as possible. And Shane, you don't think Toxic seems that good, right? That's what you're telling me. Toxic is questionable. But the way this does this is with like the cheap toxic creatures, cheap bound spells, and then proliferate spells. So this is this is how it can do the infect thing, which is like, hey, we don't we don't get to play the damage boosting spells, but we do get to play proliferate spells that get to add those infect counters. You don't even have to get the more damage in. You just have to be able to cast these spells. There's even a cool combo with venerated rot priest and march of swirling mist and that is a spell that reads x and a blue up to x target creatures phase out target creatures so as an additional and as an additional cost to cast a spell you may exile any number of blue cards from your hand and that makes the spell cost two generic less for each of those so if you remember rot priest looks for creatures you control becoming a target of a spell so if you have a number of creatures and you target them with march of swirling mist you can get to lethal out of nowhere and so this is kind of another deck looking to close the door quickly, um, not really necessarily happening what's on the other side of the board as much as like a red, let's see, aggressive deck, right? Where it's like, hey, I've got to get some more damage in, but you've got a few blockers, so I can't really do that. Like this can just get damage in with prol- proliferate spells that are doing other things from your hand. This looks like a solid counter to domain to me because that doesn't really have enough cheap removal or counter magic to like stop what this deck's trying to do. Like what are your thoughts on messing with this deck so i'm gonna be honest with you shane i think this deck is kind of just broken okay (laughs) i uh i i see i've seen a lot of different posts on twitter at like over the past weekend or so of just people just like i look i scroll through my twitter i see one post just won my rcq with ban toxic go to the next post maybe like two or three more posts down just won my rcq with ban toxic three posts later won my rcq with ban toxic it seems like everybody is winning an rcq with this deck and um it's so weird because I've played against this deck a couple of times. I will say personally, I haven't played it myself, so it's more all of what all of what my like kind of reservations are just from playing against it and not the experience of it myself. But it it kind of like when you look at the deck on paper, it looks horrendous. It's just like a bunch of draft cards, right? And it just they they kind of play out in this weird way where you just get to put like you, you kind of put your opponent in a spot where they either don't have the ability to cast a removal spell because they just lose to Rot Priest, or their removal spells are good because you have Crawling Course that replaces itself, you have Skrelv's Hive, which, like, who cares if they're cut down in a Skrelv's Hive token? You're just going to get another one next turn. So it's, like, weirdly resilient and hyper-aggressive, and it has yep. the perfect mix of that while having counter spells. So, like, it just feels like the deck is kind of busted. Man, I forgot that crawling chorus is so messed up art. Like if you've got like that if you if you're one of those people who can't look at like lotus flower pods, like don't look at crawling chorus, let me tell you that. Yeah. No. I don't care for Stay that. Stay away from that one. But yeah, good deck. Do do you think yeah, like is what's the counter against this? Like do you think like 
you know, is, is mid range going to have to lower its curve to like stop the early toxic creatures and then never really get a chance to like let them get the proliferate engine going or what? Like, what are we talking about here? Uh, it's kind of a tough question to answer. I've played against it a couple of times, at least from the Golgari side of things. And I might've played against it once or twice with Rakdos. And yeah, it feels like the draws where you have, like if you curve out, if you're matching their curve out, your cards are just better than the band decks. So like if you curve out, say like cut down their one drop, maybe they play a scroll for a rock priest and you can actually trade one for one instead of crawling chorus. And then you like just play a, like a, it's all about playing blockers, right? Because you get into these spots where they get to profitably attack with four tokens. If you have one, like let's say you have a two, two and they have three one ones, right? They're just like, okay, I'm going to send it by three one ones. You're going to block with your two, two. That's fine. I'm going to get another token next turn. But when you can have more good blockers, right? So that's why we talked about Golgari having the curve of like Dread Knight into Sentinel into Shieldred. You have three creatures, all of which check the one, one tokens. And one of them even has vigilance. So you're even attacking them while blocking. So, it's really just like stabilizing a little bit early, setting up a board where they don't have profitable attacks, and then probably just draining them out with children. Makes sense. I like it. Blockers. Blocking is good. Devin, you snuck in a deck on me. And I did. Don't, you, you can't post stuff like this to me because this takes me back to the one and only deck I ever brewed. Okay? I, I made, I brewed one deck, and it was Azorius Prowess back in like the like fate reforged type days maybe maybe yep. uh, dragons of tarkir because yeah, i don't know if you remember there was like that four mana prowess creature that like could ojitize exemplars oh, my man you were there with me i know so, that set like the back of my head yeah so like i made a deck that was you know really kind of around like monastery mentor ojitize exemplars i had uh the five mana ojitai dragon at the top of the curve and this was what was cool about that is like i sort of was just like i need something to top my curve and this seems really good and then like the week after that is when it broke out in standard on like the SCG weekend and like immediately shot up to like quite a bit of money. So I felt like a genius at that point. But so this looks kind of like, I mean, this looks like a prowess style deck and it plays Monastery Mentor, which is always a card that I've wanted to see do something. Yeah, I just wanted to kind of do a very, very quick brief shout out to this deck because I built it in paper, mostly because it's dirt cheap. It's like I had basically everything I needed for it. So um, but what this deck is trying to do is it's playing it. The deck is called it's Azorius Mentor. So what it has is a lot of the cheap cantrips. You have sleight of hand consider to help kind of like smooth out your draws. You even play otherworldly gaze which is the one mana surveil three and then it can flash back because what you want to do is you want to mill either a haughty gin or monastery mentor. And then once you mill one of those three drops, you can get them back with either helping hand, which costs one mana or recommission, which is two mana. I think so two mana. Yeah. Two, two is more than one. So not great here. Uh, but what's nice about recommission is if you have Jin already in play, then you get a discount on recommission because Jin makes all your spells cost one less. Sick. So it's kind of like get Jin or Mentor into play, play a bunch of cantrips, make a bunch of monk tokens, or just have like a 10 power Jin. Yeah, I've, I've been liking this deck a lot. I don't think it's that good, yes. but it's really, really fun to play. Yeah, I was going to say this looks like a deck that is a little bit too mopey in a like in a metagame that's dominated by domain and other mid-range decks, but it looks like it would be a lot of fun as you, as you lose, as you go like 
you know, one three or something like that at your FNM. <laughs> yeah, if I don't get Michael Gari cards in time, I'm gonna have to play this deck, and you know, maybe I'll lose, but I'll at least have fun doing it. <sighs> oh man. Okay, we talked about a lot of decks. I hope this gives you all a feel for what's going on in the metagame. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different styles of mid-range, but that's basically saying there's a lot of different styles of magic because mid-range is a spectrum, right? And so we've got everything from the hyper-aggressive red decks, which can also be built a little bit bigger, to the Azorius soldiers decks, which can go from aggro to light mid-range. We've got the different flavors of regular mid-range, which can have low to high curves. We've got things all the way up to the domain ramp decks and gigantic Rakdos, right? So there is a there's a huge spectrum of decks and what they're bringing to the table and different ways that they have strengths and weaknesses against all the other decks in the format. So I am, I'm into this. Like this takes me back. Like, the, and there's even reanimation strategies, right? Like there's a Rakdos sort of reanimation thing going on. Makes me think of like the, the whip decks from cons, like whip of Erebos yep. getting cool stuff back out of the graveyard. Like there's, there's just a lot of interesting options here and I'm, I'm very into it. We didn't touch on it, but there is a combo deck. It's incredibly convoluted, and that's probably why we didn't. We need we would need like a podcast and a half to talk about the deck, but it's Cauldron. Uh, there's like an infinite mana combo with Kami and Sleep Curse Fairy, but it's yeah, there, there's a combo deck as well. I mean, I kind of felt like sort of Bant Toxic is like combo-esque, and maybe that Azorius yeah. deck is sort of vaguely combo-esque. Like, I mean, it's not it's not the same kind of combo. All right, Devin. So I know that you play a lot of RCQs. You're more of the grinder in the in the the weekend warrior. Than t- you know, typically the other host besides maybe Stan. How are you approaching this metagame? How are you approaching your RCQs? Like, what are you thinking about? Um, well, I mean, at least for me, I uh, I only have right now. I have the Golgari deck. Well, Golgari deck currently tentatively built with card waiting cards in the mail and that blue wave mentor deck. Um, so I'm not gonna really like maybe flip flop between those between a bunch of different decks. But I mean, if, if you're looking to like, if you, if you have a lot of different decks built and you're kind of not sure what you want to play in your next RCQ, what I would highly recommend is kind of keeping an eye on what's doing well in the moto challenges, because there are still a lot of people, you know, within the competitive scene and maybe, maybe not in your local area, but people will still pay attention to moto results, right? So for example, if you see, if you see a top eight of a moto event with four infect decks might not be a great weekend to bring a deck that's bad against infect like domain. So, you know, you got to keep that in mind and maybe like try to be a step ahead of that metagame. game. That makes me think though, right? Like, okay, we know that paper players are typically more into modern, maybe pioneer. So like when you go to your modern RCQ, you know, depending on where you live, you might expect like, you know, 50 to 70 people. Right. Like standard has been a little bit by the wayside in terms of paper engagement. So like when you go to a standard RCQ, are you expecting to see like some you know stone cold like killers out there? Or do you think it's going to be people who like picked up their standard deck for the first time ever? And, you know, not ever played it, but maybe like ever in paper and, you know, they're marching it out there and hoping to sort of use their generally good skill. Like, do you think like this is an environment that people can maybe try to capitalize on? Um, I mean, I would kind of assume that the people who are going to RCQs are the people who are going to RCQs. And, you know, if it, whatever people that went in the previous seasons that were monitor pioneer, if they're willing to go to RCQs and, you know, travel hour or two hours, they're probably going to do that for standard two. So I don't think 
too much would change about that. Um, but yeah, maybe like some additional people who are more like, I, I guess the, the attendance difference would be the people who are mainly arena focused and they only play arena formats like standard. Yeah. Maybe those people are like, Hey, I want to get into competitive paper. I'm going to buy a standard deck and you might see people like that. Yeah. I'm just more thinking like, is this an environment in which people who listen to this podcast can try to you know, find and find a, a certain niche where it's like, Hey, there's not going to be like, you know, there's not going to be Shane showing up for like his two RCQs during the modern RCQ season, right? And modern is a type of environment where I think you can maybe get by on some memory. You can get by on some sort of natural instinct because the decks are so good. And, you know, like I I have a pretty good record at the last RCQs I've went to, but that's also because Rhinos is pretty good and it's not that hard to play. I feel like the standard is an environment where you have to leverage your knowledge of the format and your knowledge of yes. matchups a little bit yep. more. So like, is it the type of thing where you think you might have to prepare even more or like you would suggest people to prepare in a certain way or like think about it in a certain way? Like you said, like looking at magic online or something like that. Yeah, I think definitely checking the magic online results is probably, I mean, realistically, it's kind of the only results that we have access yeah, to, right? Like exactly. there's no other big tournaments that are happening. Um, I mean, you get, Sometimes you get reports of of top eight of RCQs from Fire Shoes. Shout out the Fire Shoes, but we don't get a ton of information outside of the challenges. So yeah, I mean, and and like you mentioned, you can't like if you purchase, and I don't want to scare people off, but if you purchase a deck. <laughs> If for standard right now, like maybe you purchase the Ban Toxic deck, it's not clear that that deck is going to be good in three or four weeks from now. Maybe the metagame changes to where people are just a lot more hostile. People have finally figured out how to beat it. And that can happen in modern, but it happens. It's much more uh, it's it's much more pronounced in standard, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think that I would agree with that, right? Or else I think I think there's big opportunity on both sides, right? Like I think you can yeah. you could take advantage of a big opportunity if you kind of call things correctly or you approach things correctly. But then if your opponent does and you don't, then you are on the other side of that um, coin, I guess. So right. I mean, how when 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 let's let's say you know Devin O'Donnell is is has his Golgari mid-range core built out and you've got an RCQ happening on Saturday. What are you particularly looking at on like Thursday to make your final decisions? Is it like what's doing well or are you saying, you know, meaning not what's doing well for Golgari, but what's mm-hmm. doing well on the, on the ladder or excuse me, not on the ladder. What's doing, well, I guess you could look at the results on tap stuff, but you can basically say like, okay, what's winning you know, how, how would you go about changing your deck or thinking about, you know, your approach that would be different than in pioneer or modern? Um, tough question. I mean, like, you know, for, I guess using an example like domain, right? If I saw that maybe this past weekend's challenges were a little bit, maybe more dominated by domain and I expect more people to show up with domain, then I'm going to like really reassess and, and see if there's anything I can do to maybe solve that matchup. And, and sometimes the answer is you can't solve it. And sometimes you just have to punt a matchup. But yeah, I mean, it's really just looking at the data that we have available, trying to utilize that, trying to it's, you know, predict a metagame, which is it's still really difficult in paper. You know, we can talk about looking at results and all that stuff, but there are some people who are just going to play the deck that they either have or want to play. Yeah, like so who's, who's buying? Gonna do. Who, no one's going to. I mean, very few people, I think, are buying like six different standard decks like they might have for modern. Right. 
because they just the, the longevity, even with three years potentially, is not necessarily going to be there. Mm-hmm. So, sorry, are you excited for the standard ICQ season? Do you think it's like a breath yeah. of fresh air? Or are you kind of resigned to playing it? No, I love this format. I like I've been I've been playing standard more in this past month than I basically have in the last two years, and it's awesome. I think this format's fantastic. The games are all the games are always fun. There's not like anything that's super overpowered and oppressive. Uh, a lot of decision points, a lot of, you know, like we said, metagaming and making sure you can pick the right deck or have the right sideboard plan. Just, it seems like there's a lot. It's very dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm extremely close to putting some cash into arena, um, rebuilding my, my standard collection a little bit there because I think it's a, it's a fun way to play. I mean, as much as I like magic online, I can't play it on my phone. So, but don't worry y'all after, I mean, after all this, I mean, I'm sure we haven't converted you all to be standard mains. I mean, I don't think we would consider ourselves that either by any way, shape, or form. I see a Moss with Dread Knight and a Liliana of the Veil. Hey, you know what my problem is, Devin, is I sold my Lilianas. They're like seven bucks. They're not that expensive. I mean, that's seven dollars I got to spend on four of them. Um, but, but So don't worry. Modern's coming back. Like, we've got modern RCs coming soon in January 27th. There's one in Brazil. There's one in Europe. We'll have some tournament breakdowns for you. We got some uh, spoiler episodes coming up soon as well. So, you know, it's, we, we are not becoming a standard podcast, whether you like it or not, I suppose. So uh, thank you for indulging this episode. I, again, Devin, I thought this was going to be like an hour 15. Here we are, like an hour 40 chit-chatting about standard. I can keep going if you want, but <laughs> I don't think the listeners would like that. Probably, I mean, probably not. Um, but so that wraps this week's show up. If you haven't yet, subscribe to us. You get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. Automatically downloads it. It seems good. It pads our numbers. If you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and a review there. Feel free to leave us a comment or a star rating over on uh, Spotify, I believe it's called. If you want to submit a question to the podcast or reach out to us, give us a tweet at the dive down. Give us an email, thedivedown at gmail.com. If you want to support us, you want to keep the show going, join the Patreon, patreon.com slash the dive down also check out the store the divedown.com slash store go to heavyplay.com get some awesome deck and dice boxes some awesome play mats using the equipment system use code the dive down 2024 gets 10 percent off of your first order mana traders of course a long time affiliate of the dive down use promo code the dive down underscore 3yo or look for the code in the show notes for 10 percent off your first two months of running magic online cards as always special thanks to the bands nowhere and space blood for letting us use their music and until next week get out there and sucking on those chili dogs